Best late entry of the century. Braga! Not going no small fit. Let me extend my apologies on big Welcome to season five and another episode of Checkmate, a political podcast from Tenement Yard Media. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at tenementyard underscore and on our website at tenementyardmedia.com. I'm the host for this episode and my name is Paige, and I'll be speaking with Dr. Shireen Andrine Powerful. Um, and we'll be talking about carnival and public health. Dr. Shireen Andrine Powerful is a Kingston-born, Bronx-based, Black Caribbean feminist, passionate about co-creating more joyful and equitable futures. Over the years, her multidisciplinary, her multi-industry work has centered Caribbean communities persons of diverse genders and sexualities and immigrants to uplift the power of culture and identity in enabling pleasure, healing, and liberation. Combining her eclectic interests, she completed her dissertation research on Caribbean masqueraders' experiences of health and well-being, earning a Doctor of Public Health degree in Women, Gender, and Health from Harvard University. She also has a master's degree in global health from Columbia University and a bachelor's degree in Latin American and Caribbean studies from Yale University. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Powerful. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy that we are finally getting to connect and have this conversation. So I'm excited for today. No, I am as well. Um, I've read your work and I'm really excited for this opportunity to talk about your your research. Um, I'll give you the, the start and you can go ahead and give our listeners just a general overview of your research and, and what it's about. Okay, sure. So just a preface, I'm going to geek out a little bit um, on the research methods and my research reasons for choosing them in addition to the research topics and questions because... I think it's important for people to get a sense of how and why the research is done the way it's done, in addition mm-hmm. to focusing on like what the outcomes were and what was learned from the research. How does that sound? That sounds great. All right, cool. So my research project was about carnivals in the Caribbean. So any carnivals that actually take place in the region and how there are positive and he- positive health and well-being benefits for masqueraders that are built into these cultural practices. Mm-hmm. And with this project, I wanted to expand upon how we usually think of health and well-being by exploring Caribbean people's experiences of pleasure, healing, and liberation while playing mass. Um, and that's because, to me, those are intimately connected to health and well-being in a way that connects mind, body, and spirit, right? Like, if we think yeah. of many of our cultural practices and traditions in the Caribbean, we know that we don't just stop at you know, trying to enrich ourselves or trying to nurse each other back to health by only focusing on the body or the mind. There's a spiritual element as well that we embody, which is a legacy that we carry from our ancestors and, you know, everyone who came before us as a manner of not just survival, but of making sense of the world and the new worlds we all find ourselves in all the time. So that's kind of like the thinking behind why I chose this project. Mm -hmm. And I won't get into it too much, but if Anyone who is listening or, you know, you folks want to learn more about that, there's this book called um, Caribbean Healing Traditions 
Implications mm-hmm. for Health and Mental Health. So that's a really good book that speaks to the mind, body, and spirit connection in terms of Caribbean healing practices. And it'll give insight into how I'm thinking about how Carnival provides all of this for us. No, perfect. We'll have the editors link the book below so the folks who are listening can check it out if they're if they're so inclined. Okay, perfect, perfect. So um, yeah, in the project, I used two methods to conduct the research. So, you know, your traditional qualitative interviews. And mm-hmm. I also used a method that was new to me, which is called a Twitter analysis. And I'll explain what that is in a bit. And with the interviews... I chose interviews specifically over surveys because I wanted to center Caribbean people's stories about themselves, their feelings, their behaviors, and their perceptions, and really get in that rich detail and the nuances that you can only get from doing in-depth interviews. Um, And with those interviews, I asked questions about masqueraders' perceptions of the health and well-being benefits of Carnival, as well as their experiences and their feelings about Carnival's Possibilities for Pleasure, Health, and Liberation. I used a method called photo elicitation, which is where participants can bring photos and videos to the interview, and they share them, they explain how those photos to them represent pleasure or healing or liberation. Mm -hmm. And then participants were also able to choose a story, so that's me incorporating oral storytelling, which is, again, another ancestral practice where they could tell a story about a memorable carnival experience that they mm-hmm. felt impacted their health and well-being. Mm. And then with the Twitter analysis, so geeking out about like the method itself, that's mm-hmm. an example of what's called a document analysis where mm-hmm. researchers interpret either electronic or physical documents to understand the meaning and impact. And one of these types of documents is a public record. And Twitter essentially counts as like a modern day public record because it's in use, right? And searchable. Um, And I chose to do a Twitter analysis specifically because one, I love Twitter. Like I'm just always on it. And I love it because I'm able to build community with other Caribbean folks who, you know, either they're located in the region or they're located in the diaspora. And I remember like during the earliest days of the pandemic, Caribbean Twitter was just filled with such love and joy and care. And um, it was really important for me to include this method because I had mm-hmm. gone to Trinidad Carnival in February, 2020, right before COVID lockdown happened. Mm-hmm. And so Twitter felt like, you know, a town square or a field or a stadium where we all gather to just lime and par and talk and vent and everything in between. Yeah. So, yeah, it only felt right to use this non-traditional, quote-unquote, research method because it was where I could find my people and it was where I could find the people who this project would resonate with because, you know, we're all in lockdown and the research was conducted during all of that time. And with the Twitter analysis, I asked people to submit any tweets that they wrote, I think over the past year, I can't remember the exact time frame, but any tweets that they wrote that talked about how COVID-19 affected them as masqueraders and then what they thought about how COVID-19 would affect the future of Carnival. Okay. And then just the last bits, just talking about who was actually participating in the project. I did have to limit the project to the English speaking Caribbean because I didn't have, you know, full capacity or full team to expand beyond that. 
Mm -hmm. And then the people I interviewed were folks who self-described themselves as carnivalists or carnival chasers. And they were based either in the Caribbean, Canada, or the United States. And that's just because of like the, the ethics and the privacy restrictions of my school's research board. Um, what else? And then I also had a, a community advisory board of carnival influencers, bloggers, and business owners who advised me and were a huge help with the direction and the intention of the project. So yeah, that's like, that wasn't brief, but that was an overview of the project and my thinking behind it and some of the folks I included and the methods that I used. No, thank you. Thank you for, for prefacing the rest of the conversation. I think it's important for folks to understand all the, you know, all the kind of thinking and the involvement that has gone into the work yeah. Um, yeah. to kind of preface the discussion we're having. Um, your degree is um, a doctor of public health and you also have a master's in public health. Mm-hmm. Um, can you can you get um, a bit more into detail about Carnival and its intersection with public health? Because I think that there are lots of people who hear Carnival and public health and they're like, mm, I don't really understand how those two things are overlapping. <laughs> right. Um, so can you talk about that? Yes, yes, yes. I love this question so much because I get it a lot, right? And, you know, most people in, in public health or even the people in the programs that I did, they tend to focus on hospitals and administration and healthcare Mm -hmm. when it comes to public health. But to me, this is a limited view because, you know, we see, I think there's a tendency to see public health as just population level medicine. Yet in public health, practitioners like to say everything is public health. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, oh yeah, I have eclectic interests. I I think about a lot of different things at the same time and I see the connections very clearly. And so I had to follow my brain and my heart to explore public health in this unexpected, emancipatory, anti-capitalist, joyful and desire-based way that you Mm -hmm. don't often find in public health. No, yeah, I think that's, I think that's amazing. And you're leading us right into my next question. I'm really interested in in the method of inquiry being an emancipatory inquiry. Can you talk about exactly what that means and what that looked like in in the work? Yeah, sure. So this is not like my term or my method. Um I actually I first learned about emancipatory inquiry through a course that was called <laughs> emancipatory inquiry um mm. which was taught by Dr. Alia Elamin who She's of Trinidadian descent, actually. So having that connection, especially with this project, was really important for me. And Dr. Elamine is a researcher and a lecturer, and she works on making sure that educators have the knowledge and the tools that they need in order to disrupt systems of oppression. And so in this course, which was honestly like the best course I had ever taken in my life, please look up her work if you're interested. Dr. Elamine does great things. Um, you know, we explored how to disrupt the traditional Euro-American colonial methods of doing research where, you know, quantitative research and the idea of quote-unquote objectivity are the gold standard. And the assumed persona of the person who is being researched or the communities being researched, those tend to be white, cisgender, straight, middle-class, able-bodied, neuroconforming, all of that. And so her course helped us to explore how to disrupt that way of doing research. And 
Other names for emancipatory inquiry are uh, like critical research or emancipatory research. Mm -hmm. And at a very high level, it's an umbrella term for various frameworks and methods that, again, approach research in this kind of anti-oppressive and justice-centered ways. And so some of the critical theory-based research frameworks include feminist theory, queer theory, disability theory, indigenous theory, and some of the methods include like arts, arts-based research methods and participatory action research, which is something that a lot of people have, have heard of already. And overall, why I love Emancipatory Inquiry is because it uplifts the power of qualitative research and storytelling and highlights untold stories. It exposes power, privilege, oppression, and it allows for a shift in who is the researcher, who gets researched, and whose knowledge is valued and centered. So a lot mm-hmm. like emancipatory inquiry work illuminates goodness, is grounded in community, and is about doing research as an act of love. Um, so yeah, so that's emancipatory inquiry in general. And I can stop there or I can kind of explain some of the ways that my project specifically was emancipatory inquiry, if you'd like. Um, I think you touched on something I really want to get into that leads into my next question very well. Okay. Um, um, you said, um, now it slipped me because I had to reply to a message. You said something about love and research, and that mm-hmm. struck me mm-hmm. a minute ago. Um, and I guess what I wanted to do is lead into this next question, so whoever's editing this can cut out me blabbing. Um, One of the aims of your work was to develop a framework that, quote, facilitates individual and community flourishing through cantering and celebrating culturally affirming pleasure, healing, and liberation. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, was one of the most interesting things I'd read in a very long time. Mm, Thank you. And I think... You're welcome. And I think it's because I've been doing my own thinking about liberation and my my own thoughts are around imagination and innovation and how they can contribute to our liberation in the same way I'm seeing you're thinking about pleasure and healing contributing to liberation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I just in your work, I saw imagination and innovation, right, talking about carnival in in this very academic way contributing to research linking it back to public health um, and Caribbean people and our joy and in your work I saw the things that I was thinking about just being imaginative and innovative in the way that we think about how we're going to free ourselves Um, and I think that I just wanted to know where where your thinking came from like where did you where did these sets of ideas come from and how did you stumble? I, maybe not stumble, maybe, you know, you've been pursuing this your entire time, but I just want to know where that thinking came from. Yeah, oh my goodness. So, you know, I mentioned Dr. Aliyah El Amin and her course, Emancipatory Inquiry. Mm-hmm. And in that course, I came up, um, we explored the writings of Dr. Eve Tuck, who is an indigenous Canadian scholar at the University of Toronto in Canada. And Dr. Eve Tuck wrote a letter to her community about, you know, asking them to reconsider the long-term impact of letting in outsiders 
who only conduct damage-centered research that focuses mm-hmm. on all of the negative things happening in a community. And so Dr. Tuck talks about desire-based research as a way of centering community stories about themselves rather than relying on stereotypes about those communities. And so for me, being in that course, hearing about desire-based research and just having like the way I operate with my Jamaican culture, my Caribbean culture, I bring that into everything I do. Mm-hmm. I had like this, um, I had, what do you call it? Um, aha moment, right? Yeah. Aha moment that pulled together all the discomfort that I had been feeling with how I've been formally taught and trained to work towards social change. So like most of my education and most of my jobs focus on the negative health outcomes or attitudes or behaviors that need quote unquote fixing. And yeah. it's like this real white savior type of nonsense that I hated. So yeah, being in that course and learning about desire-based frameworks and knowing that I wanted to uplift my Caribbean community in my doctoral project, that made me ask myself, like, what is a Caribbean practice that already exists mm. that is filled with goodness and joy and pleasure and that makes us as Caribbean people work to be the truest versions of ourselves um, that makes us or allows us to celebrate ourselves and get closer to feeling healed, to feeling free, and to feeling liberated from oppression. And then it was like, duh, carnivals. Like there's yeah. so much of that embedded in carnivals, right? Like at their core, carnivals are a celebration of reclamation, mm-hmm. of emancipation, of beautiful, brilliant, and bold blackness, Africanness, and yeah, like as a masquerader, I've experienced all of this, you know, the euphoria, mm-hmm. the feeling of coming home, of connection with others on the road, even though I don't know them. And then for me, the benefits to my physical and my mental, spiritual, emotional health, all of that was very, very clear. And, you know, as I began to do my research proposal to further explore pleasure, healing, and liberation in Carnival, I thought about pleasure in Carnival looking like enjoying a stranger, yet, you know, they're your kin's person, right? They're your country person. Yeah. Enjoying that person's company on the road. Pleasure to me in Carnival looks like being grounded in your body and opening yourself up to the experience of euphoria. It feels like understanding that the the palpable, sensual, and sexual energy mm-hmm. is so powerful that it frightened the colonizers, right? Not because it was vulgar, but because they were jealous that our ancestors loved themselves and their bodies and each other. Mm-hmm. And then I think about healing in Carnival. For me, it looks like leaving it all on the road. It looks like being present and letting go of your stresses in the moment. Mm-hmm. It looks like understanding that the collective you are now a part of on the road is bigger than the whole and you're not alone. Healing carnival feels like release, like you're releasing pain through crying and tears because that often happens on the road. Mm. Um, Healing feels like releasing trauma through whining and dancing because trauma lives in our bodies and one of the best ways to get out that trauma is through movement. And then I thought about liberation in carnival looking like 
like ignoring the respectability politics of how to dress and how to dance and how to talk and how to look. Um, it, It feels like becoming more comfortable with oneself to engage in what's essentially a large scale communal practice of joy and sociocultural support. And liberation and carnival feels like it, it feels like being free, like feeling free mm-hmm. in your self-expression and your commitments to your joys and your desires. I'll stop there. So like that's that's how I, I thought about all of it when I um you know came across these different theories and these different frameworks, knowing my own experiences as a masquerader and talking to other people from all around the region who have been to different types of carnivals, different mm-hmm. cultural festivals, and have shared similar experiences. One of the biggest things that I carried with me through this project is the fact that these are already things that we mm-hmm. as Caribbean people know, not just about carnival, because let's face it, like carnival in its current day manifestation, not every single Caribbean country or, or territory or space has had the Trinidad-style mm-hmm. carnival, for example, right? We have cultural festivals, we have junk and we have other representations of our cultures that also convey these health benefits that represent pleasure, healing, and liberation. We're already doing them and we know what they do for us, what they did for our ancestors, and we continue in those rituals and practices because of that. And I'm not the only person who has thought about mm-hmm. how carnival and health intersects. And I know that in the region, it's kind of hard to find data and research, not because it doesn't exist, but because there is unfortunately yeah. a lot of gatekeeping. And you've likely heard of different people who are either researchers or practitioners, or even when we look at um, different carnival videos and of the fets and the parades and everything, and we see people who were like, are you actually from the region? Are you actually from this country? How much do you know about the culture? Do you know the etiquette mm. that happens when it comes to carnival? And a lot of times those people, especially if they fit more of this Euro-American ideal, their stories get prioritized over Caribbean people's stories. And so like, I, I build on the work of people like Soyini Gray, who describes carnival as providing this kind of mm-hmm. like a psychological release because it creates space for masqueraders to momentarily forget their daily rituals or to reclaim empowerment. That's sorry. Momentarily forget their daily trials. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I said rituals momentarily mm-hmm. forget their daily trials and tribulations and they can reclaim empowerment that has been taken away from them by using music and dance. You know, I also think about other folks like, Satori Hassanali, who is also a masquerader, and Satori is an art okay. psychotherapist, right? Um, I remember Satori asserted the possibility of carnival as therapy to heal from trauma. And Satori saw music therapy, drama therapy, art therapy, mm-hmm. play therapy, and dance therapy as principles that are embedded within Caribbean carnivals. Um, and then you have Onika Henry from Trinidad, who is a clinical sexologist and a theater artist. And in, she has a TED talk called Reclaiming mm-hmm. Sexual Identity Through Carnival. 
And in her TED Talk, she speaks about masqueraders using carnival to heal from sexual violence and to move towards achieving sexual wellness. So there are other Caribbean folks who see all of these positive health and well-being aspects of carnival, who see, I mean, what I'm calling public health intersections when it comes to like people eating healthier, more nutritious eating, or they're exercising more, taking care of their bodies. We know that. But when it comes to external depictions of carnival from the U.S. or from Canada, from people who don't understand the culture, they just look at it like, oh, they're just drinking and gyrating and, you know, they they just, it's, it's just negative. There's no positive in it and we only go because we want to just stand up in bikinis no, yeah. and, and just dance or whatever. <laughs> like, there's such perverted viewpoints of what carnival is, but we as Caribbean people across the region and across the diaspora who really believe in it and feel that spiritual connection to it, we know what's up. We know what it's really about. No, yeah, I I had the privilege of taking a a sexuality anthropology class in in college and we had to do a presentation on some Mm -hmm. aspect of sexuality. And it was, again, Twitter inspires my life. I'm not ashamed. It was around the time where that tweet about the was it naked peacock that they called the folks was going around and I and I really took that tweet to heart and I remember doing a presentation in my sexology class um and it was about carnival and sexuality and everybody's like oh yeah we already know that and then I like click and it's like you know like you know you know like images of people being taken and enslaved from the continent and they're like what does this have to do with anything I'm going to tell you in just a minute it's not about a naked peacock let me tell you what's going on because that was really disrespectful and again like it goes back to my point that i mean this is just me being a little petty but i really do feel like when the colonizers saw our ancestors dancing and they saw them you know with the drums and creating their own music and engaging in these these rituals of of play of of joyfulness that they were hating. They were hating that we could feel so comfortable with ourselves and our bodies that we're not going to, you know, cover them up from head to toe. We're not going to just repress ourselves. If the music calls us to move, we're going to move. And the colonizers' cultures did not allow for that. Those cultures were very repressing themselves. And so I feel like that's why sensuality and sexuality has been demonized, or one of the reasons, rather, has been demonized when it comes to carnival because of that viewpoint. It's like, stop hating. You can... Join, you know, do your own little thing, but you can have that same kind of liberatory experience as well. No, exactly. It's like, why be a hater when you two can be joyful and liberated and feel free and in community with other Black right. people having a great time? Yeah. Um, I guess what I'll roll into is the actual question. And whoever's editing <laughs> this, I'm so sorry, but... You can just edit out where I talked and keep the last bit of what we just talked about because I think that's important for people to hear about all those Caribbean scholars as well. Um, can you talk quickly about your findings? Like, what what did you observe as a result oh, of the gosh. research? Okay, um, I'm going to try to be as quick as possible because there were a lot of findings. And between the interviews and the Twitter analysis, I ended up with like 18 overarching themes. Um, so I'm just going to share some of the most impactful themes. I do have some direct quotations from Mm -hmm. the participants. Do you want me to go through the themes without the quotations or should we 
include some of the participants' voices? Yeah, I think you can include some of the participants' voices. I think it's important for people to hear, you know, how other people who are actually participating and not necessarily just researching are, are thinking about this as well and expressing okay. their thoughts on it. Sorry, drinking my honey and lime because my throat is acting up. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the major themes was around the physical health benefits of carnival participation. And so a lot of the masqueraders felt like having carnival as something to prepare for and experience gave them motivation for better health choices. It promotes being physically fit and it boosts their physical capabilities. And so some of them spoke about being mindful of what they were eating, making sure to stay hydrated, um, taking vitamin supplements to ensure that their immune systems were strong enough to make it through the carnival activities. And some of them talked about getting into fitness practices that would help them to increase their stamina and their endurance for the road. Because, you know, often carnival, often, all the time, I guess, carnival also feels like a workout in and of itself. Um, and then another theme was around how for some masqueraders, carnival is a means of taking care of their mental health. So there's a participant who we'll call Jemet because that's the name that she chose for herself, uh, the code name because we don't use real names in mm -hmm. research. But she was reflecting on how mm -hmm. for her, carnival is self-care. And she said, it is not a party. It is how we give ourselves that massive social self-care ritual every year. Because it has served us in the past in terms of a space for catharsis, a space for joy, a space for release, and a space for healing. And particularly because we've been through a year that is traumatic and still traumatic, a year from which we're going to see a lot of mental and emotional health fallout. And that was, you know, I think fall 2020. So we were in, you know, the middle of COVID. So that's the context for that. Mm -hmm. um, and then... Other participants also talked about the mental health benefits of carnival, where they would say things like, carnival saved my life, or carnival is like taking medicine mm. and, you know, seeing it as being a way to relieve stress or to reduce anxiety. Some of the participants talked about how having carnival as an outlet made it easier to endure work or the difficult life experiences they had. It temporarily made some problems feel lighter or non-existent or pushed against the negative things that the depression told them. And, you know, even one participant was like, they, they realized that preparing for carnival helped them to stop their usual coping mechanism of emotional eating because they had, they want to be more mindful of how they were going to approach the carnival season. Um, and then to kind of represent this, a participant who is called Montana, they shared you use the mm -hmm. carnival for what you need it for. And it really helped me with getting over a lot of trauma to where now I'm in a good headspace. Even though things come, I know, okay, I'm better equipped to deal with adversity. Like for, for Montana, carnival provided that space and that framework for them to be able to work through their trauma and, and release all of that. And another major theme that I really love, which you know, masqueraders know this through and through, is of Carnival being mm -hmm. able to nurture social connections. And several masqueraders spoke to this about mm -hmm. how they feel like Carnival is a welcoming space 
that allows for safety, trust, comfort with both strangers and family and friends. And so I had a participant, Tina, who told this story that had me cracking up, but also just like in agreement. So Tina was saying, Mm -hmm. like a couple of seconds after this, another random person who I don't know, a man, he comes, swoops in, and picks the two two of us up to take us down the road. That goes back to that feeling of this community and just feeling safe and comfortable with everyone. Like, I wasn't scared or... You know, if somebody were to do that to you randomly somewhere else at some other time, it'd be such a different story. But at Carnival, there's so much freedom to just enjoy yourself. And I let go of those worries for a bit. And that feeling of togetherness, that feeling of everybody on the road is your friend, you don't have to know them. If somebody from a different race or a different culture, a different class, you have no idea. But you're just able to enjoy this festival with them. So that resonated and tugged at my heart. And then another theme that tugged at my Mm -hmm. heart was how carnivals in the Caribbean, they provide space for healthy self-concept and self-expansion. And so some of the masqueraders talked about how their carnival experiences reinforce that it's okay for them to truly be themselves, that carnival makes them feel beautiful or powerful in their costumes and it inspires them to show their best selves like they're coming to carnival as their best selves and to me this relates to participants connections with their bodies and their selves because they feel at home or they feel like they're coming home to themselves during carnival like you don't necessarily have to come home to Mm. the place where the carnival is but within the carnival experience they feel like they're coming home to themselves um, you want me to go on some more things? Cause I have some more. <laughs> I can stop. Here. No, yeah, I think I think um, if you can list off the themes, just so folks can hear hear what they all are, I, I'm interested in yeah, hearing. Yeah, sure. Are. So the ones I mentioned already are more directly related to positive health and well being, and then when it comes to pleasure, mm-hmm. healing, and liberation, two of the major themes that came out were the creation and celebration of black euphoria and joy as well as carnival's mm-hmm. expansion of someone's capacity to navigate an oppressive world and to me those were mind-blowing right like a lot of participants really understood and this might just be you know the kind of people who chose to participate but a lot of them really understood the origins mm-hmm. of carnivals in the region and so for example marie talked about or this is what marie said I feel like a lot of people nowadays are forgetting that Carnival was rooted in Black culture. I feel like Carnival goes against the odds of like, how do I explain it? It goes against anti-Blackness. And another participant talked about what healing in Carnival means to her. So Jamet said, Carnival, first and foremost, is a space our ancestors created for resistance, for resilience and rebellion. And for us, All of those were needed for us to heal. We had to find ways Mm. to resist what is telling us we are wrong or that we are animals or that our sexuality is animalistic in nature, that we are subhuman. We had to be resilient when we were abused and chained and sexually abused. And it came to a point in time when we said, well, enough is enough. 
we're not taking this sitting down. Carnival was created to have all of that as a part of healing. <clears throat> and then, you know, another story that came from this participant called Kincaid. This is one of the stories that I love the most that came out of this research, where she spoke about the manifestations of resistance and protest in her recollection of a Twitter thread that came out in summer 2020 about the protests against police mm-hmm. murders of black people. And we know that especially in, in 2020, the murders of black people, they happen all the time year round, but especially then there was a focus yeah. on them happening and they were happening globally in the U S in Brazil in Jamaica, like everywhere. Right. So Kincaid said mm-hmm. back in June, when some of the protests started happening because of the George Floyd case, I will never forget when she tweeted something, she said, hey, y'all remember when we said we didn't have carnival, you know, in 2020? But look outside. Mass is happening. And I said, you goddamn right. This is mass. This is mass in its purest sense because it's people fighting for liberation. This is mass. People fighting for liberation, fighting that oppression. This is literally mass that we're looking at. This is people in the streets holding up signs, speaking their truth, fighting for their truth. This is mass. And here we never thought we was going to have carnival. But this is mass. So that that was just like, whoa, okay, yes. Mind-blowing, symbolic yeah. representations. But again, like coming to the understanding of <clears throat> the origins of carnival and how it impacts us or how it manifests for us today. Um, and then what else? We had themes around how Caribbean masqueraders desires for future carnivals, uh, how they were kind of affected or um, changed because of the current COVID-19 pandemic and how this creates an opportunity to provide meaningful changes. And so, you know, I'm sure you've seen a lot of people's criticisms about the different challenges around discrimination and exclusion in carnivals in all the different places, Mm -hmm. right? And so a lot of people talked about Mm -hmm. how they really dislike that this is happening and how, you know, carnival is supposed to be for everyone, but we live in a capitalist society. Carnival is becoming more and more monetized and it's pricing people out. So the participants talked about issues around ableism, and the lack of accessibility for disabled people. And, you know, videos have gone around about people on crutches or in a wheelchair, and they're still trying to participate. But of course, because of accessibility with the roads or whatever else, not everyone who mm-hmm. is disabled can participate because their needs aren't being met. Different people talked about, like, sizeism when it comes to costume fits and people with bigger bodies not being able to have the same kind of brilliantly designed costumes as, as folks with smaller frames. So a lot of people vented about that. They vented about not being represented at bag launches and colorism where darker skinned people are sidelined in the photos and the representations that come out. And then others also talked about how they observe and know of more queer people who are participating who don't experience overt anti-queer violence, but that representations and considerations of queerness in Carnival are still lacking. 
Um, and it's kind of discordant to the true, like the real origins of Carnival. So, yeah, there's there's a lot more themes. Um, I did think that the discussions that came up with a few people around queerness and Carnival were super important because participants talked mm-hmm. about Carnival as having queer origins where thinking of queer as a verb, like queering and going against the status quo and ignoring colonial representations mm-hmm. of gender, like we see in some of the famous traditional carnival characters where you have men dressing up in costumes that depict women or depict like the most extreme or, or they used to use the word grotesque forms of like a woman's body, for example. Um, there was a lot of mm-hmm. quote unquote gender bending in the representations, and a lot of like mockery of the colonizers and how they represented gender so some of the participants saw that as a querying of Carnival. And one participant, Marie, said, when I saw that, I was all like, Carnival is queer. But a lot of people have not adjusted to that thought process. But those are probably people who don't even study liberation. Like, let's be real. Carnival has kind of shaped that too because it shows that sexuality is more fluid. And then when you study indigenous roots and such... Sexuality was always fluid. It wasn't until colonization that it became non-fluid. So yeah, there's so much more, but I'm, I'm going to stop there. But those are some of the additional themes. Um, just really rich details and nuances that came from the participants and their masculine experiences. Yeah. No, yeah, I think that that's really important. And I think maybe Marie is getting to what my next question is at just kind of the hopes and implications for the, for the, for the work and, and, and what you're hoping that it, it might achieve and possibly change Mm -hmm. even. Yeah. So I think first I think of this work as building on what other people like other researchers, other cultural practitioners have done, whether, that work has been mm-hmm. documented with words or if it's oral documentation or no documentation at all, just passing down knowledge. Um, for mm-hmm. me, I do have to admit that I need to share the project more widely. You know, I had some plans with my collaborators, one of them being Carney Cycle based in Trinidad, who they're doing really big things around carnival and being eco-friendly and sustainability we had some plans around different Mm -hmm. ways to share and engage with others on social media with virtual events. But, you know, with the ongoing pandemic and life just life in these past couple of years, we weren't able to make those things happen. And so now that I have the capacity to revisit this work and seeing that we are having the full, not, not full, almost full reemergence of the regional carnivals, I'm hoping to put some of those plans into action. But overall, I really, really, really would love for this project to inspire more visible research on our contemporary Caribbean practices that are cultural practices that centers our joy, our desires, our pleasure, and our healing. Like we deserve good experiences. We deserve to celebrate ourselves to feel good about our bodies, Mm -hmm. our cultures, in ways that provide counterexamples to the oppressive, limited, external views of the Caribbean as this tourist playground or 
as political pawns on the global stage, right? So this is why it was so important yeah. for me to do this project about carnival from our lens, which is, you know, the regional and diasporic masqueraders lens. And I also want us to yeah, be think- able to lift up our cultures and our practices as spectacular and beautiful and worthy in and of their own rights, instead of only mm-hmm. prioritizing how many tourism dollars they bring in or how much of a boost they are to local economies, right? Like when I was reviewing some of the literature that's already been published about carnivals, a lot of it was trying to validate carnival by making the economic case for why we need to invest in it. And I understand like, yes, we live under global racial capitalism. So we need money and we Mm -hmm. need resources in order to put on these cultural showcases. So we can't ignore the benefits, the economic benefits of these cultural practices, especially because, you know, we need money to live. That's how our people, cultural workers and vendors and business owners, that's how they make their livelihoods. But Mm -hmm. if you speak to mask makers, you speak to carnival creators and other cultural workers, they're focused on the artistry, on the passion on the honoring of ancestral practices, on storytelling, Mm -hmm. and on imagining better futures. And we need to uplift those more in our modern day stories and representations. Like, I really don't believe that the world only has to engage with us as a region and that we don't only engage with ourselves through monetary transactions and depictions of sand, sun, and sea, or of quote-unquote, reckless sexual abandon, right? Like, I do think that the reality of the financial and economic component to Carnival and other cultural practices makes it so that we we don't gatekeep and protect our cultural institutions like we should. And I understand that because Mm -hmm. trying to survive under capitalism is a real thing. But, you know, even so, I, I still want to see regional carnivals prioritizing local masqueraders over carnival tourists, especially those who just think it's like this pretty show or a horror spectacle to be gawked at. And, you know, those who don't know the cultural etiquette when it comes to jab-jab or whining or fetting. Um, You know, I want to see the complete inclusion and integration of more queer people, greater accessibility for disabled people, more expanded costume options for all body sizes. Uh, you know, these things that we, we keep talking about and it seems like it's getting better a little bit slowly at a time and then sometimes it feels like we're going backwards. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I mentioned Carney Cycle, who is leading this movement. Myself and a lot of masqueraders also want to see greater sustainability in the materials we use with more recycling and upcycling. One big thing that I really hope we will be able to get to at some point in all of our different countries and territories, like (sighs) just having more support and funding for the cultural workers who do their best to produce art and beauty and they bring us joy through that, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I want to see less catering to foreigners and tourists even if that means that me as a diasporic Jamaican, that I'm not included in that and I have to take a step back. Um, yeah, I think like all, all of that ties into 
my hopes for this research and some of the hopes that the masqueraders shared for the future of Carnival, especially because mm-hmm. no matter how much our governments and our politicians, celebrities and corporations, no matter how much all of them, right, how much they try to tell us that money is the be all and end all of everything, Carnival shows us that our communities and our joy and our celebrations of our existence and resistance are what makes life worth living and well lived. And, you know, through this project, it's clear that Carnival provides health and well-being benefits to its participants. It further provides evidence that it's health that's our real wealth and expands upon how we can conceive of health and how to improve it. And so for me, that's what we should invest in, in the most creative, authentic, and emancipatory ways possible. Thank you. And I share all of those hopes with you as well. Um, thank you so much for talking yeah, with me. Thank you. No, I, I know I, I gush it. and go on, but like this, this means a lot to me, especially being able to showcase and talk about Carnival from a point of view that really centers, again, like love and community, because these are the things that we know we feel in and of ourselves. Like we shouldn't have to always be in defense mm-hmm. mode for our culture practices. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Thank you again. Thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners. Again, this has been the first episode of season five of Checkmate, a political podcast from Tenement Yard Media. You can follow us on Twitter at tenementyard underscore and on our website at www.tenementyardmedia.com. Could I give out some shout outs real quick for some people who help with the research? They yes, do. please do. Okay, so I mentioned that I had a I brought together different folks to serve as this kind of a community advisory board to help you know keep me accountable, mm-hmm. hold me accountable to my Caribbean people, and they were filled with people who are deeply embedded within carnival cultures. So I want to shout out Bahamianista, Global Carnivalist, OG, Shab the Kid, Shireen. Wana, Dij, Shanice, Simsima, Lucy and Vagabond, and Danny and Luke from Carney Cycle. And I can provide links to, you know, their pages and their work that we can put on the website, I think, right? Yes, we can link all that in, yeah. in the description and then below. some researchers who were super vital to helping me get the the books and the articles written by Caribbean people that I needed to ground this work in. So Claire Woods and Kern Williams from the Carnival Institute of Trinidad and Tobago. Dr. Kai Barat, who is a Trini living in JA. She's a Carnival scholar and a lecturer at UTEC. And Dr. Joanne Tull, Mm -hmm. who is a Bajan researcher and consultant on festival statistics and the Caribbean's creative and carnival economies. So their work was super helpful for this project. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, whoever's editing this, you can put this before <laughs> I do the <laughs> okay. sign off. Thanks. <laughs>